To make it in New York, you need to stand out. And while there is strength in numbers, sometimes you need to just go it alone. Be bold. Make a statement. Separate yourself from the rest. Enter One Food Wonders. I'm George Boldarki, and this is Cityscape. On today's show, we're honing in on eateries that specialize in just one thing, like grilled cheese sandwiches, rice pudding, and in the case of this guy on the Lower East Side of Manhattan, pickles. My name is Alan Kaufman, A-L-A-N-K-A-U-F-M-A-N, and I'm the owner of The Pickle Guys on 49 Essex Street. So, Alan, you pretty much are the last man standing, if you will, when it comes to pickle stores on Essex, right? Yes, this is the last pickle store. Uh, if you would have came here back in its heyday, there were probably about 40 pickle stores in this neighborhood. When I started working here in 1980, there were still four stores left. Now this is the last pickle store left. Why so many pickle stores at that point in time here in New York City? Well, you've got to take an effect that when people came here to America, you came by boat. We didn't have air travel. We had came by boat. So everybody entered or came in through Ellis Island. And from Ellis Island, they filtered out to the, you know, the closest neighborhoods. So, like, at one time, the Irish came, and they made Hell's Kitchen, and the Italians came, and we have Little Italy. And then the Jews came, and they took over the Lower East Side. It's an inexpensive item to make, and it's a comfort food, and it didn't cost much for people to buy. And when they bought a pickle for, like, a nickel, it was like, wow, it's just like being home. So that's why it's very popular. And I guess over time, the population here changed and the pickle stores moved out, et cetera, et cetera. Well, what happens is people get old. Uh, A lot of people get old, and their children don't want to go into this business. They want to become more professional, like doctors or accountants. They don't want to go into be a pickle guy. So the parents had nobody really leave the business, so it was easy just to close up their operations. Uh, Nowadays, like I said, we're the last pickle store left, and our biggest problem is rent. You know, we, we sell a pickle for 75 cents, and it takes a lot of 75 cents to make the rent that the landlords want. So what's your story? How did you become a pickle guy? Okay, I started out in uh, 1981 as a pickle guy. Uh, before that, I was a commercial photographer. I did wait a minute, wait a minute. A commercial photographer to a pickle guy. Yeah, yeah. I used to do a lot of advertising stills, uh, trade ads, and stuff like that. Uh, in the summertime... Uh, photo industry is usually dead, you know, because all this, all this falls done, Christmas is done, everything's done. So sometimes, so I had nothing really to do for like two months. So, and I can't really spend my money because I don't know when my next job is coming. So you got to ration out. So I started coming down here. I had a friend that worked down here and I started hanging out with him and I started working with the old timers, a couple of the old guys like Benny Gus and, uh, Sally Kaplan and Nathan Hollander. And as time went on, I did more and more work during my free time because with photography, I could work a day, I could work a week, and then I, you know, I'm off for a month. So I would do it like that, and I, you know, learn more and more. And then uh, eventually, photography went all digital, all computer. And uh, I'm a sort of a dinosaur, and I don't know about computers, and I don't want to learn. So I closed up my shop, and I came down to the east side here to open up the pickle store, the pickle guys, because if I didn't do that, there'd be no more pickle store left here, and that'd be a lost history. So to keep the tradition alive, and I like doing it, I stayed with it. So that was important to you to set up shop here on Essex. You could have gone other places, I would imagine. I could, I could open them anywhere, but I wanted to keep the original tradition alive. You know, it's been this way for 110 years. I, like, I would like it to see it go for another 110 years. So are you making your pickles here like they did 110 years ago? When I first started working, 
We had uh, five barrels. That's all the old guy, old timers had. They had like you know sour pickles, half sour pickles, new pickles, sauerkraut, hot peppers, sweet peppers, and that was pretty much it. And, and tomatoes. I'm sorry, and tomatoes. That was pretty much it. And those are all what we still make now is all the traditional recipes from 1910 when they came over from Poland when they escaped from persecution. Those are all the original recipes. We've added a, probably about another 25 different items that are more newer, and those are our own recipes. Alan, thanks so much for your time. No problem, buddy. Anytime. Alan Kaufman is the owner of the Pickle Guys. You'll find them on Manhattan's Lower East Side, in Brooklyn, and online at pickleguys.com. The Pickle Guys are just one of several single food destinations featured in a new book called New York's One Food Wonders, a guide to the Big Apple's unique single food spots. Mitch Broder is the author. He joins me now in the studio. Mitch, thanks so much for coming in. It's an honor. So what inspired you to dive into a project highlighting places that feature one food? Well, for my writing topics, I have always gravitated toward the improbable, and these places qualify. I've, I've been writing, I had been writing about these places for years, so uh, it's always been one of my specialties as a writer. And my fascination for them goes beyond just the concepts. I am also fascinated with the people who start these places. I, I admire their creativity. I admire their audacity and their confidence. These people are sure they're going to succeed even if their concept is totally wacky. You know, they just believe in it, and, and I like that. As such, these people bring, to me, what's some of the last independence to the cityscape. I promised myself I would use that word at least once. Thank you. <laughs> but, yeah, they, they bring, there's still some independence. I mean, even if, even if you don't like what they're serving, if you, play, if you pass porchetta and you don't like porchetta, what would be there if that wasn't there? Uh, another CVS, another Starbucks, another uh, Subway, Chase Bank. That's what's happening all over the, the streets of the city. So they, they bring independence and they also bring adventure and surprise to the city. You walk through the streets, you see something different, and it, at least it brings a smile to your face. So those are some of the reasons. And, and lastly, there's a, a section in the book called the New York Singular Hall of Fame, which celebrates one one thing and one food places of the past. And because I've been writing about these places for a while, I've accumulated a lot of history. Uh, I've also done a lot of research. And uh, so it made me able to put together a book that really chronicles this concept in the city. So it's my contribution, I hope, uh, however modest, to documenting the history of the city. What is your writing background here in New York City? Well, I um, wrote for many years for Gannett Newspapers, uh, covered the city as a feature writer and a columnist. So uh, that was always my goal. I began as a freelancer uh, when I was much younger for the New York Times, for Newsday, uh, then went to papers around the country for a while to just see the rest of the country. But it was always my goal to come back and write about New York. Now, no doubt creativity, as you mentioned, is a theme throughout this book, throughout the shops, these one-food shops. You have something called the Bruffin in oh. New York City. Someone took a chance on the Bruffin. What is the Bruffin? The Bruffin is one of the foods that were invented. Uh, that There are a couple foods in this book that were actually invented. The, the Bruffin came from two guys who were partners in a bakery upstate, 
one of the guys came in one day and said to the guy who did the baking that he wanted something quick to eat. And he uh, he said, you know, I, I just want something to eat. I don't want a donut. I don't want a slice of pizza. I don't want a sandwich. I've got one free hand. See what you can do. I kind of like that line. <laughs> so <laughs> what the guy did was he took brioche dough, uh, put filling in it, and baked it in the shape of a muffin. And this became the bruffin. They, and they, they fill it with international fillings, and they put a little flag on top for representing the country that uh, represents the filling. And, uh, they, and they opened a place called the Bruffin Cafe. And no doubt you're going out on a limb when you open up a Bruffin Cafe. Will yeah. it work? Won't it work? Yeah, exactly. It, you don't know if people are going to take to it. And there are, particularly in the Hall of Fame, there are a couple other invented foods that just did not have the appeal. Such as what? Uh, one of them was called Hot Puffs. And, what are hot puffs? Well, so hot what pu- were hot puffs? I, I would have to I'd have to quickly look that up for you and 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 explain the hot puff because it's so complicated that uh, here it is hot puffs. Hot puffs are soft and fresh dough products is what the menu said and they are all freshly baked or fried to your order and they had stuffed puffs they they named them by their shape. There were rectangular ones that were called stuffed rec puffs, triangular ones that were called stuffed tri puffs and crescent ones that were called stuffed crest puffs. It was all just way too complicated. So complicated it didn't work. It it couldn't work because it was just too complex. So the Bruffin seems a little simpler, and and it may have a better future. Something else that's pretty creative is the Bantam Bagel, which is a new take on the bagel here in New York City. Exactly. That's the other one I was just thinking about, another invented food. The uh, founder of Bantam Bagels told me that he, it came to him in a dream. He just dreamed about a stuffed bagel ball and got up and put it down in the notepad section of his iPhone and then created this stuffed bagel ball. It is sort of the, the munchkin of bagels and the stuff, there's stuff inside that on a regular bagel would be on the bagel. This is in the bagel. When they first opened, uh, maybe even now, but I know when they first opened, they would give you a little sheet of paper giving you instructions on how to eat it because (laughs) it was very important to, as they put it, bite the hole. You needed to bite with the injection hole facing your mouth because if you bit on the other side, the filling could squirt out onto the face of the person across the table from you. <laughs> so that's uh, that's the Bantam Bagel, and it seems to be doing very well. Yeah, I was going to say, but also another potentially risky proposition. Don't mess with my New York bagel, and, bud. And people have come in and told them that. They've had angry people saying, this is no bagel, and you have to take risks like that when you're, when you're in the one food world. As you mentioned, there are a lot of great stories behind these one-food shops, including the story behind Flex Muscles, a shop that only sells muscles, with an interesting story that started from a vacation. Yeah. Yeah, they they were vacationing on Prince Edward Island, which is where the muscles come from, and they fell in love with the place and and ended up taking over a restaurant there and then bringing the restaurant concept here and... uh, and they have uh, several locations now, and it, it's you know you would never think of a mussels restaurant, but they're the ones who did it. Yeah. I never heard of hot dogs for breakfast, but then again, I have never gone to Criff Dogs on yeah. St. Mark's Place in Manhattan. Yeah. They serve a hot dog called a Good Morning. Yeah, 
right, right. Do you do you have the ingredients in front of you? I, I, know, I think there's an egg on the, that the, hot dog. I know they have a hot dog with egg and cheese. With egg and cheese, yeah. They have hot dogs wrapped in ham. They have hot dogs wrapped in bacon, which I guess would both be breakfasty. Um, hot dogs with cream cheese slathered on them. There aren't a lot of hot dog places in the book because a hot dog can be pretty simple. Mm-hmm. And the as the subtitle says, these are unique single food spots. What's unique about Criff dogs is that they are extreme hot dogs, like these ones we've described. Uh, it And actually, they uh, that's the place that has one of my favorite stories in the book, the way they got uh, the name Criff dogs. Uh, these were two guys, childhood friends, Brian Chibero and Chris Santista, and they grew up together in New Jersey loving hot dogs. And then when they grew up, they would take trips on their motorcycles all over the Northeast looking for interesting hot dogs. And one day on one of these trips, uh, the name Criff came up when Brian tried to say Chris's name with a hot dog in his mouth. <laughs> Criff. <laughs> and that's how they got the name Criff Dogs. That is great. So that, that's, I, I don't know, for some reason I love that story. I haven't been yet, but Melt Bakery is now on my list of places that I have to go to, thanks uh, to your book. They sell yeah. nothing but ice cream sandwiches. Ice cream sandwiches, a picture on the cover of their ice cream sandwiches. They are amazing. And this fella, what, he's he really wanted to raise the... Uh, production of an ice cream sandwich to an art. Uh, I think I mentioned in the story that for most of us, they're a soggy thing you get out of a vending machine mm-hmm. or, or something. Yeah, or the good the, humor ice yeah, cream sandwich. Yeah, yeah. From, from the good humor truck. And it's, and it's uh, you know, he's, he's very meticulous about choosing different textures for the cookies, different flavors, and matching the cookie to the, to the ice cream. And they're, they're little things, and they are, uh, yeah, he's got a, a a restaurant just for that, and, I, and he's got a place on the High Line, too. And they also have ice cream sandwiches, similar ones at, uh, of all places, the Meatball Shop. Do they really? Yeah, they have ice cream sandwiches like that there on their menu. I, I asked them why, and they didn't really have a clear answer. It just happened. Um, but they, uh, they, that, that's the other place that has these gourmet sort of ice cream sandwiches. Mm-hmm. Meatball is another popular one-food wonder in yeah. New York City, right? Uh, yeah. Meatball shop, very successful, and there's another one called Meatball Obsession, and that's the place that has the uh, subtitle I like the best. That's the the home of the original meatball in a cup. There you go. And, and how can you not want to write about a place that's called the home of the original meatball <laughs> in a cup? And it's it's based on the meatball in a cup that the owner was served by his grandmother. On Sundays, uh, she would serve it in a coffee cup. Unfortunately, you don't get a coffee cup at this place. But uh, so you but, gotta love yeah. those kinds of stories. I know, I know. know. That's that's why I'm attracted to these places. It's not just it's not just the the concept, but the story behind it. And in this book, as in my other book, which we may talk about later, um, uh, what I did was besides making it useful as a guidebook, I tried to tell the stories behind. The, the places and the stories of the people because I think any place either as odd or as old as the places I write about deserve to have their stories told. Mm-hmm. Your first book focused on restaurants and shops that have survived for at least 50 years in New York City. Yeah. Yep. Is the one food trend a relatively new phenomenon? 
I believe that uh, the first restaurant started by the cavemen was a one food wonder. <laughs> it, they probably served moss or maybe ferns. Uh, but as far as New York City is concerned, uh, it actually, the what you might call the New York City culinary scene began with one food wonders. Two centuries ago, the city was filled with places called uh, oyster bars, oyster stands, oyster cellars, oyster saloons. And uh, that, that was the food. New York was the oyster capital. And that's what really started what you could call the, the eating scene. On, on, I'm sure they didn't call it that then, but that's really what started. And later on, there were the push carts selling peanuts, pretzels, knishes, uh, chestnuts, which we still have on the corn streets. Corn, too, right? At corn, one point I, in time. I believe there was corn. There were potatoes. Mm -hmm. Potatoes. And, of course, now we still have the carts on the streets. And uh, so, so really, it's not... It, it, it's not by any means a new concept. People think of it as one, and possibly because it, there's really no way to tell for sure because there hasn't been a lot of documentation, but it, it would seem that these places have been increasing over the last 10 years, and I would tie that directly to the rents that have been increasing over the last 10 years. People have a restaurant, and uh, they're paying $10,000 rent today, and tomorrow it's $75,000. Mm -hmm. And that's not an exaggeration. That happens. I'm sure you know it's happening all over the city. Uh, so through the generations, there are always people who want to, with a dream of opening a restaurant in New York City. Now they've got to downscale, downsize the dream, and think narrow, narrow in concept, narrow in square footage. And that's why I think more of these places are opening but they, they, you know, there, there have been places like this all through the, the past century. Are One Food Wonders fairly represented in all five boroughs? This book is mainly about Manhattan because there was enough in Manhattan to fill the book. That's what happened with the first book, too. But the one thing I heard very often about the first book was uh, we want stuff about Brooklyn. So there is a section in this book of Brooklyn One Food Wonders. Brooklyn has a store that sells nothing but mayonnaise. Yes, Empire Mayonnaise. And that's that was one of the very compelling reasons to do Brooklyn, because how could you do a book like this and leave out Empire Mayonnaise? So, uh, yeah, the, a lot of the places in Brooklyn are actually uh, branches of the ones in Manhattan, but there are some unique to Brooklyn. I would imagine that you can start to venture out into Queens, too, which is really quite a culinary capital well, here yeah, in the city. Yeah, there are some there. And, uh, you know, I, I regret we couldn't fit everything in. But if this does well, maybe we can have Keep an expanded going. second edition. <laughs> yeah. We talked about ice cream sandwiches. There are also snow creams in New York City. What's yeah. a snow cream? Snow cream. Uh, um, that is a West Coast concept, something that's doing very well in California. And uh, this fella decided to bring it to New York. And as far as I know, he's got the only place. It's alternately called shaved cream. And it is cream that is frozen and shaved and comes out in the consistency of snow. It is not like a snow cone, which is ice. Uh, and it's not like a snowball, which is a New Orleans, a New Orleans, excuse me, a New Orleans confection, um, which is also made in a kind of snow machine. But this is this is a very snow-like thing with many different flavorings and toppings. It's delicious. It's really good. And he's apparently doing well because uh, he opened uh, in the East Village, and since the book came out, he's opened a branch in the West Village. What would you say is the secret to success? 
the secret to longevity in a city like New York? Longevity in general, such as the ones in in the vintage book, uh, well, it would there would many of the secrets would be the ones that apply to many things: uh, timing, having something people want when they want it, and uh, location, of course, having having the right concept. But in very realistic terms, for the places in in that first book, discovering vintage New York. I'm reminded of one of my favorite Jackie Mason lines. Jackie, I saw Jackie Mason on Broadway a few years ago, and he said, every Jew knows a building in New York City that he could have bought 20 years ago for $9. Well, that's who succeeded, the people who bought their buildings, the people who uh, who bought their buildings. Mm-hmm. It was far more than 20 years ago, but for a lot closer to $9 than what the buildings are selling for today. And there are places in that book, little bakeries, little shops, that could never have survived till today if the families hadn't bought their buildings, whether they whether they were so brilliant that they could see the future or just practical or lucky. Uh, they bought their buildings, and now they can survive, and we're lucky for it. Do the one food shops feel pressure, though, to branch out? You mentioned that the meatball shop is now serving ice cream sandwiches, for instance. Mm-hmm. Is that pressure there? Well, I think I think they they did that from the start. That was just their okay. part of their concept. And uh, do you mean branching out in terms of having other things? Exactly. I mean, how long will the fad last? For instance, how long will someone want a bruffin? Yeah, it's a, it's an excellent question. And you know, as the Hall of Fame in this book attests, you never know what's going to last. They all change their menus. Every place has to change its menu. But uh, I don't know that. There, you know, sometimes you can add something, but that could sort of be the beginning of the end because if you can't make it with your original concept in a place like this, I don't know where you can go with it. You can add a few things, and some of them do have alternate things for people who who just don't want their main thing, but I think they really have to survive on their concept. What one food that you discovered surprised you most? Wow, had no idea that this one food was flourishing in New York City. I don't know if there's any that really surprised me. When I think of surprising, I think of the, the, the places that are the unlikeliest. To me, what's surprising is the success of places that sell something you wouldn't think anybody would ever pay for. Such as what? Peanut Butter and Company. Peanut Butter and Company sells, it's the old peanut butter restaurant. They sell peanut butter sandwiches. Peanut butter sandwiches, the food that somebody who can't cook anything <laughs> can make. The, the, the meal that a two-year-old can put together. Who would think that that would survive? And also rice to riches, rice pudding, rice pudding, the dessert they give you free when you get the blue plate special at the diner. <laughs> you know, you, you would never think that these two could survive. But rice to riches has now been around for 13 years. Peanut butter and company has been around for 18 years. They are the standard bearers. They are the, the inspirations. When I would interview people and ask them about why they thought their concept would succeed, they would say, many would say something like, well, if that guy could make it with peanut butter, or if that guy could make it with rice pudding, then I could surely make it with fill-in-the-blank oatmeal, Mm -hmm. grilled cheese. All comfort (laughs) foods, though, if you follow that trend, right? Yeah, exactly. Oatmeal, peanut butter, rice pudding, all comfort foods, mac and cheese. Exactly, and that's why we have a lot of those places, because they discovered that People just love this stuff, and they'll 
and they'll come and they'll pay for it. Rice, rice to riches pudding is delicious. And this guy is not only a creative genius, but a marketing genius. He has turned this into an international tourist attraction. And I love it because it's, it's a lot of fun. It's funny inside. They've got uh, signs that he wrote. And it's a really good product. They have 150 flavors of rice pudding. Wow. <laughs> Not all at once, but, <laughs> yeah. but they have a roster of 150 flavors of rice pudding. And people looked at th These were the two that were sort of the leaders in the current, what you could call the current wave of One Food Wonders, having opened 13 and 18 years ago. They, they could be said to have gotten the ball rolling for these places in, in the modern era. The rice ball rolling. The rice ball <laughs> rolling, yes. You yeah. can spend a day in there just with a tasting spoon, I guess. Yeah, exactly. And Peanut Butter and Company, uh, Lee Zalbin, the founder, he has, of course, his own brand of peanut butter, uh, Peanut Butter and Company Peanut Butter, and he told me it's now in 15,000 stores. Wow. I've seen it in my own supermarket. It's everywhere. Yeah, and people people yeah. love it. Yeah, yeah. And, and he, he managed to make a, a huge success out of a place selling basically peanut butter sandwiches. Mitch Broder, thank you so much for coming in. It's a pleasure. Thank you. Mitch Broder is the author of New York's One Food Wonders and Discovering Vintage New York. You can find him online at mbvintagenewyork.blogspot.com. Finally today, the knish is an iconic New York City food. And if a knish is what you have a hunger for, look no further than this One Food Wonder. The Jonas Schimmel Knish Bakery on Manhattan's Lower East Side has been a New York staple for six generations. My name is Ellen Anastrato. And who, who do you own? Who are you here? I'm one of the partners, like a manager in the store. How long have you been one of the partners here? Uh, well, it's uh, it's like it's in a family. It's in direct family, but it's, it's in a family. It's six generations, the same family. Six generations. Wow. So you're, you're the sixth, huh? No, my kids are. Your kids are. So you're the fifth. Wow. What is that like to have an establishment like this in New York City for six generations? It feels great to be a part of something like this, yeah. How did it start? Well, it started from Jonas Schimmel. He was a scribe. He came from Eastern Europe, from Hungary, Romania, from that area. And he wanted to teach people spirituality. But at that time, everybody who came was immigrants, so nobody had money to, you know, to study and pay for that. So his wife was making knishes, and uh, they had knishes in a pushcart, and they would sell it in Coney Island. That's how they started. And in 1890, they opened up a store across the street from us, and uh, in 1910, they moved here. And they have been here ever since. That's pretty amazing, especially in New York City, when establishments open and close all the time, that right outside you have that sign that says, since 1910. Yeah. Everything is original. The counter, the downwaiter, the tables. Yeah, it's pretty amazing. So how do you make a knish? A knish is potato or something mixed with potato like spinach, cabbage, sweet potato, broccoli, whatever you want to mix it with, with potato, with salt, pepper, you know, onions and spices, wrapped in a very thin dough, round and baked. 
that's original Kanish. But you can make whatever you want, you can call it whatever you want. You know, that's what people do. Now here's your menu right here. You have quite a few different kinds of knishes on here. Yes. We started from a basic, I guess like potato, kasha, spinach, and then we add, like now we have about 20 different kinds of knishes. And uh, special of the day today is jalapeno pepper with mozzarella, potato, onions, and spices. Which I am going to try in just a moment. How do you come up with the varieties for your knishes? Uh, whatever sounds good, we try it. And we see how people love it. When people love it, then we know it's good. So we remake it. Well, I am going to try this knish. So... It looks delicious, so let me just take a nice bite into this. And you're going to feel yourself in, in heaven. I'm sure I will feel myself in heaven. Here we go. Mmm. That is a wonderful finish, and I'm talking with my mouth full. I know that it's not polite, but it is delicious, <laughs> Ellen. Well, that's why I say, if you didn't have Yona Shemal Knish, you never really had a Knish. That was Ellen Anastratov from the Yona Shimmel Knish Bakery on Manhattan's Lower East Side. And that's it for this week's Cityscape. I'm George Bodarki. My thanks to producer Claire Drake. It's WFUV and WFUV HD New York. Listener-supported public media from Fordham, the Jesuit University of New York. Music discovery starts here.